So, I want to ask a question before we get started. Um, the Lord in His providence has kind of contributed a few things to my sermon this morning. One, some from Dylan and some from Brett and I were talking about aches and pains earlier and and uh, hurting and sickness and all the things going on with uh, the people that are sick that we love and care about. And so I just want you to think about that for a minute. Think about... You, how you feel right now. Some of you are probably hurting right now. Some of you are probably in pain. Some of you are probably sick. If not, it hasn't been long since you were sick or hurting. You may feel okay right now or think you do. You feel what you would consider normal. But think, to, think back to the last time you were really sick or you were really in pain or there was something that was really wrong. Some of you may have some chronic issues, some kind of disability or some kind of uh, chronic permanent pain. And the reason why I bring that up is because we tend to forget, I think, that we're in a broken, fallen world. It seems normal to us because we get sick and we get hurt and everybody gets sick and everybody hurts and everybody has these Issues and it just seems like a normal part of life. Everybody dies, and so it's just a normal part of life, but it's really not normal. You understand that? It's not normal to have sickness and pain and death. Um, where did it come from? Well, I know you know the passage, but I'm going to read to you from Genesis 3 where this came from. You know, the Lord... God created the heavens and the earth, and and you can go through the six days of creation and said God created and God looked at what He had done and it was good. And at the end of it, when everything's created, God looked at what He had done and behold, it was very good. There was no sickness, no death, no pain, no misery. But then something happened in the world. Something came into the world. What came into the world? Sickness? Yes, but something else came first and brought it. Sin. Sin came into the world. And almost everyone in our culture, our society, knows, has some kind of an idea of the story of how Adam and Eve are living in a perfect garden and and the serpent comes and tempts them to eat this fruit that God has told them not to eat of, and so they do. And then something happens. There's a fall. So I'm going to read a little bit of what was said here in Genesis 3. I'm going to pick up where God asks Adam. Um, in verse 9, it says, Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He, Adam, said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman you gave to be with me, she gave me from the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So this is what's happened. This is sin, rebellion against God. So here's going to be the result of it. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you've done this, cursed are you more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you will go, and dust you will eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you will bring forth children. Yet your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Then to Adam he said, Because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat from it, cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you. And you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground. Because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So we know that death came into the world through this sin. 
Because of this rebellion, there's a curse. And so now we know we all die. We're all going to die. Every human being that's born is going to die. But you're already dead spiritually, and you're dying today. And not only are you dying, but everything else is dying too. See, it wasn't just humanity that was cursed with death because of Adam's sin. Paul tells us in Romans that the whole creation was subject to futility because of Adam's sin. Everything is dying because of sin. Sickness and disease and pain are part of this world because of sin. They're symptoms. They're not the problem. The problem is sin. But the sickness and disease and the pain and the things that we suffer, they come from this. They stem with sin coming into the world. And so this whole world is under a curse. It's under a curse. And it's, it's dying. Everything is dying. So let's go to our, our scripture in, in Luke chapter 5. Verses 12 through 26. And, and what we're going to look at today is two events in the life and ministry of Jesus that we would classify as miraculous healings. That's what we would call them. They, they are miraculous healings. And, and sometimes these miracles are referred to as signs and wonders. Well, there's a reason for that. These healings, these miraculous healings are signs. And what we're going to see is that these two healings are, there truly are signs that, they're signs of who Jesus is. And they're signs of the greater healing reality um, that God was accomplishing through Jesus in his earthly ministry. That's what these healings point to. They point to who Jesus is, and they also show us, they're a picture of the work that he was doing when he, in his incarnation. So let me read through it. While he, Jesus, was in one of the cities, behold, there was a man covered with leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and implored him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And he stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing. Be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he ordered him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, just as Moses commanded, as a testimony to them. But the news about him was spreading even farther, and large crowds were gathering to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. One day he was teaching, and there were some Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present for him to perform healing. And some men were carrying on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were trying to bring him in and to set him down in front of him. But not finding any way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and led him down through the tiles with his stretcher into the middle of the crowd in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven you. The scribes and Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But Jesus, aware of their reasonings, answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins have been forgiven you, or to say, get up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up and pick up your stretcher and go home. Immediately, he got up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. They were all struck with astonishment and began glorifying God, and they were filled with fear, saying, We have seen remarkable things today. Now, 
We begin in one of the cities. It doesn't tell us specifically what city he was in. It could have been any city. Because of the fact that in uh, uh, Matthew's text, Capernaum is referenced. A lot of scholars believe it was probably Capernaum, but we don't know that for sure. He did go into Capernaum after the healing of the leper, but, but this may not have been the city. It's just one of the cities. could be anywhere. Um, man's need is universal. doesn't matter what city you're in or what town. Um, what we need is we need for God to come to us where we're at and do something for us that we can't do for ourselves which is heal us, cleanse us. That's what we need God to do. And it, it could have been any city. That's, I think that's the reason why the Holy Spirit doesn't tell us which city. It just says one of the cities because this problem is universal and it's everywhere. And this man is covered with leprosy. Well, what is leprosy? I mean, we hear that term a lot. We don't see it a lot in our part of the world. There are places where it still exists. But leprosy is a condition, it's a disease where your skin and flesh actually rot away. If you've ever seen a picture of a fiddleback bite, in Oklahoma we have fiddlebacks, and they're a spider that if it bites you and it's not treated pretty quickly, it'll actually rot a hole out of you. It'll rot the flesh where that poison is. This is the way leprosy works. It actually rots the skin and the flesh off of you. And I know that sounds terrible and disgusting, but we need to see that. We need to, we need to really picture that. Sometimes we need to experience these things so that we understand what the Bible is telling us. Leprosy, it, it's literally a case of walking death. It's just like being dead. And, you know, a corpse in the ground, it rots. The flesh and the skin, of course, we do everything to try to keep it from happening with the embalming fluids and all of that stuff, but, but it rots. And if you don't use embalming fluid of some sort, it rots quickly. You see a dead animal on the road, the thing rots. I know I'm being graphic, but there's a reason. It, the Bible is very graphic, and it wants us to get the picture Leprosy is literally walking death, corruption, decay, rot. The Bible uses leprosy to describe us in our natural, fallen, sinful condition. That's what the Bible says about us. We're walking lepers. Let me read you something from Isaiah chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 4 to 6. Alas, sinful nation, people weighed down with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, sons who act corruptly. They have abandoned the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They have turned away from Him. Where will you be stricken again as you continue in your rebellion? The whole head is sick and the whole heart is faint. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there's nothing sound in it. Only bruises, welts, and raw wounds, not pressed out or bandaged nor softened with oil. That's a description of leprosy. Just raw, rotting, decaying flesh. And that is the spiritual condition that the Bible describes us as being in. Walking death. So that's the man who we pick up with here in Luke chapter 5. He's a man that's covered with leprosy. It means he's totally engulfed in it. And then it says, and when he saw Jesus. That's the most important part of this verse. He saw Jesus. This is divine mercy and grace because I'll tell you something. Not everyone gets to see Jesus. Not everyone does, but this man saw Jesus. Not everyone gets to, and by see, I'm not talking about with your eyes. Not everyone recognizes Jesus for who he is. 
But this man did. And we know that he truly recognized Jesus because he immediately falls on his face and submits himself to Jesus' will. Immediately. Look at what he says. He fell down on his face and implored him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. He didn't even say, Lord, please make me clean. He said, Lord, if you are willing, I know this is in your power. You can make me clean. He recognized Jesus and he immediately falls down before him and bows the knee, submits to his will. So he knew that he had one great need. This leper did. This man knew he had one great need. His need was to be made clean. That's the universal need of all mankind. We've all got one great need, and that need is to be made clean. And he knew that Jesus had the power to cleanse him. Sounds like some, somehow or other he had been given the gift of faith. And he knew that Jesus was sovereign. He knew that it was by his will. He knew that it wasn't his will to manipulate Jesus. There wasn't any formula. He knew that he was subject to the will of Christ. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Aren't you glad we got verse 13? And he stretched out his hand and touched him. Jesus did. He stretched out his hand and touched him. Saying, I am willing to be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left him. You know, Jesus healed others without touching them. Why is it significant that he touched this man? This man is a leper. There were strict laws about quarantine, separation. You couldn't come into the city. You're outside the camp. You're totally separated. You understand, this is a picture of spiritual reality. Paul talks about this in Ephesians 2. We're separated from the commonwealth of Israel. We're completely alienated from the people of God because of our sin. We're outside the camp. And you don't touch those people because if you're, if you're not unclean and you touch someone who is, you become unclean too. Even if you don't contract the disease, you're still ceremonially unclean under the law. Jesus never did anything by accident or randomly. He touched this man, even though he didn't have to. He says, I am willing, be cleansed. Let me read you something from John chapter 6. I'm going to read verses 37 through 40. I'm going to read a few different places. You don't have to turn there, but you can if you like. In John 6, 37 through 40, Jesus is in a discussion with some unbelieving Jews, and he says, All that the Father gives me will come to me, just like this man did. He was given to Jesus by the Father. He was given the gift of faith. He comes to Jesus. He says, All the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he's given me, I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son, everyone who sees Jesus, recognizes him, and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. He's willing. Don't you fear. If you see Jesus, he's willing. Come to him. 
and be cleansed. It says immediately, immediately the leprosy left him. Why did it leave him? Let me go over to Isaiah 53. I'm going to read verses 4 through 6. It says, Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted, but he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. He touched him. He touched him, and he took the man's uncleanness upon himself, and it was destroyed. The man was made clean. Verse 14, and he ordered him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, just as Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Why would he do that? Why would he say, when he says don't tell anyone, he's not saying this is a secret. That's not what he's telling him. He's saying don't Go out saying that there's somebody else operating out here outside of the law, outside of um, the way things are done. He's saying, don't do that. What I want you to do right now is I want you to go show yourself to the priest. Do everything according to what the scriptures say. When a person is healed from leprosy, I want you to do what the Scriptures say. There's an offering to be made. This is what the Scriptures have outlined. I want you to follow the Scriptures. Go take this offering to the priest. Show yourself to him. Let him pronounce you clean. Why? Jesus didn't come to abolish the law. He didn't come to abolish the Old Testament Scriptures. He came to fulfill the Old Testament Scriptures. And see, what he's saying here, he's sending this one, this person, who was formerly excluded. This guy couldn't go to the priest with the leprosy. He couldn't even come into town. He sure couldn't go to the temple. He couldn't go to the synagogue. But he's telling him, go show yourself to the priest. This one who's excluded... From God's people because of uncleanness. Let him see you and pronounce you clean. You don't blow the trumpet. Let the priest do it. Go show yourself to him and do it as a testimony to him that the fulfillment of what the scriptures promised is here. The fulfillment of Moses, of the law and the prophets is at hand. You're going to be a testimony to them. He healed him as a sign, as a testimony. That's what he's telling him. And he sends him to be a witness. So let's look at verses 15 and 16. It says, But the news about him was spreading even farther, and large crowds were gathering to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. So more and more people are coming out, this fame of of who Jesus is. They don't really know who he is, or they have a misunderstanding of even those that have got an idea that, hey, this may be the Messiah. They don't really understand what the Messiah is going to do or what they even need to be saved from. But they know that somebody of importance is here, a prophet, maybe the Messiah, Maybe the next king. And they're coming out to hear Jesus. To hear him speak. 
They're coming out to be healed. It's kind of interesting. The wording here is not coincidental. That they come to hear Jesus and be healed. In Romans ten seventeen, Paul tells us faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. Cleansing and healing are sovereign acts of God that he's ordained should occur through what? How does God cleanse us? God cleanses us and heals us through the proclamation of and the hearing of his word. That's how he acts. That's how he cleanses us and, and that's how he heals us. Um, you want some more evidence of that? Let, let me read you something from Ephesians 5. What is prescribed to a husband? And Christ is described as a husband, isn't he? The husband of a bride. What's prescribed to a husband? In Ephesians 5, verses 25 and 26, it says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. The Word of God applied. That's how the Holy Spirit cleanses us and heals us. It says that Jesus would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. While He's teaching, while He's ministering. Often. How would you describe your Slipping away and praying. Would you use the word often? That's a, I, I don't want anybody to raise their hand. I, I don't do it often enough. But I can promise you that if the Lord himself often slips away to the wilderness and pray, I need to do it more often than that. Constantly. What does it take to see the power of God at work in your life and on display in your life? What does it take? It takes constant communion with God. Jesus was in constant communion with his Father. He was often in prayer, often alone with his Father. We need to be often alone in prayer. And now we'll look at the next event in verse 17. One day, could have been any day, he was teaching. And there were some Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting there who'd come from every village in Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present for him to perform healing. Now, we need to understand kind of the dynamics of what's going on here. Jesus is teaching the crowds who come to sit under his teaching and be healed. That's who he's teaching. The power of the Lord is present for him to perform healing because the Lord is present and his words are being spoken. The power, the creative power of God applied by the Holy Spirit through the words of Christ is present These Pharisees and teachers of the law, or scribes, who are sitting there, they're not there to sit under Jesus' teaching. That's not why they're there. They're there to sit in judgment over Jesus' teaching and to look for ways to accuse him. They're not there for the same reason that the crowds are. The crowd is there to sit under Jesus' teaching and be healed. These self-righteous religious people don't believe they need to be cleansed or healed. They've already done that themselves through their religious rituals, through their legalism. What they're doing for there, they're looking for a way to write Jesus off so that they can continue to set over the word of God, judging it for themselves rather than submitting to it. That's what they're doing. You know, Spurgeon said that every time you read the Bible. It's probably not a perfectly accurate quote, but the the gist is accurate. 
Every time you read the Bible, you're either sitting over it or it's sitting over you. One or the other. Jesus was there speaking, and you have this group that are sitting under him, and they're learning from him. And then you have this other group that are there to sit over him, and they're not getting anything. So let's look at verse 18. And some men were carrying on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were trying to bring him in and to set him down in front of him. So some men are trying to bring their friend to Jesus, and he's paralyzed. He physically cannot do anything to get himself to Jesus. That's a picture of spiritual reality. We can't do anything to get ourselves to Jesus. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. That's John six forty four. There's nothing we can do to get ourselves to Jesus. Verse 19 says, But not finding any way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down through the tiles with a stretcher into the middle of the crowd in front of Jesus. Now, I've heard this preached before. I've seen pictures of what people thought this might have looked like. But to truly understand it or see the picture, you have to understand what this house probably looked like. This Middle Eastern house that that was popular building style during this time and even into the the first and second century. This would have been where most of your churches would have been, would have been a house like this in the first and second century. And the house is a square with a courtyard in the middle of it. So the house is kind of around, and it's got a flat roof, and then there's this open square in the middle of the house, and hanging out over that square from the flat roof are some kind of shades. could be like a tent shade, or it could be like tiles that are just hanging out from the edge of the roof, and the purpose of them is just to keep the, is for shade for the courtyard. So what would have happened, and there were, most of these houses had stairs exterior going up to the roof. And so what would have happened is these guys would have taken their friend and they would have carried him up the stairs onto this flat roof. And then they removed one of those shade tiles. Jesus is evidently in the courtyard in the middle of this house teaching. And they removed one of these shade tiles and that's where they let him down at. So... Although I really like the sentiment that I have heard that I want friends that will tear the roof off to get me to Jesus. That's a good sentiment, but that's probably not exactly the picture. But they still went to great lengths. They still cried up. They still climbed up on the roof. They still did not let the obstacles deter them. They didn't let the crowd stop them from bringing their friend to Jesus. How many obstacles are too many when it comes to bringing your friends and loved ones to Jesus? How many? Where, at what point would you decide, well, it's just too much. I'd like for him to be saved. I'd like for him to know the Lord, but it's just too much. How determined should we be? I think we should be determined enough that as long as there's life in us and them, that we should continue to bring them to Jesus. And there's a reason for that. The reason is in verse 20. Jesus, seeing their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven you. Seeing their faith. What we really believe is always demonstrated by what we do. It always works itself out. In our, we can say we believe anything. A lot of us know people who claim to be Christian, but there's absolutely no evidence of it in their lives. What we truly believe works itself out in our behavior. Where I used to pastor, I had a lot of cattlemen in the church, and one of these 
one of these ranchers explained I was preaching something similar to this, and he explained it this way. He said, yeah, he said, we, we all get together and we talk about our cows and our bulls and, and we talk about um, all of these different ideas that we have. He said, but if you want to know what I really think, just go look and see what's in my pasture. And that's the way it is. What we, what we truly believe demonstrates itself in our lives. And it demonstrated itself in what they did. Not just the friends, but the paralyzed man. For him to let them lower him down from a roof, just hang him out over the courtyard and lower him down. This guy's helpless. There's nothing he can do if they drop him. But he believes that Jesus is where he needs to go. They believe that, and he believes that. They believe that Jesus is his only hope. He believes that Jesus is his only hope. They have faith. And Jesus rewards their faith by meeting the man's greatest need. And healing his true disease first. Instead of focusing on the outward symptom, what does he say? Friend, your sins are forgiven you. That's his greatest need. His greatest need is to have, see, all of these things, that all these maladies that we have. Think of the worst thing, your worst pain. It's a symptom. Cancer is a symptom. Physical defects and, and death is a symptom. Physical death is a symptom of our Spiritual death, it's a symptom of the sin, the curse that we're under because of sin. And Jesus goes right to the heart. Now, he did this intentionally. Jesus could have, he could have made, he could have just wowed the crowd right there and healed the man and not had any controversy. He'd have been talked up. Oh, yeah, the Pharisees, they'd have gone back and bragged on him and all of this stuff. This guy's a great healer. That's not what he did. There's nothing random or coincidental about the way Jesus ever did anything. He did it this way to demonstrate spiritual reality. It says, The scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? So see, what they're showing here is they're showing that they're not sitting under the Word of God. They're looking for a way to manipulate the Word of God. They're sitting over Jesus. They're judging Him rather than submitting to Him. You see the difference between them and the leper that we read about a while ago. He comes and he immediately submits himself to Jesus, but they're not. They're going to sit over Him and judge Him. But they're right. Only God can forgive sins. This is the whole thing's intentional. Jesus has baited a trap for them, is what he's done. He's made it just like he sent the leper who he cleansed to the priest to let the priest declare him clean. And so testify to the truth. That the one who truly makes clean has come into the world. He's going to, he's, he set these scribes and Pharisees up to where they just told the world who he is. And then he's going to show it. He's going to demonstrate it. Let's look at verses 22 and 23. But Jesus, aware of their reasonings, answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say? Your sins have been forgiven you, or to say, get up and walk. What he's doing is he's pointing out their upside-down thinking by asking a rhetorical question. Which is the greater miracle? Which is the greater miracle? Physical healing is temporary relief of a symptom. 
of the true disease. And it's, it doesn't matter. I mean, think about this. We know Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. But you know what happened to Lazarus? He died. It was temporary relief. But because Jesus gave Lazarus spiritual life, he lives forever. He healed his greatest need. Not through a, a physical healing, but through a spiritual healing. Forgiveness of sin is permanent healing of the real illness, a real problem. Verse 24, he says, But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up and pick up your stretcher and go home. But so you know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. You know, Jesus' favorite title for himself was Son of Man. By using this title, he was declaring both his true identity and the source of his authority. Well, we, we don't always realize that because we don't go look. We don't. There, there are certain preachers that think we should unhitch from the Old Testament. Well, you've got to have the Old Testament to understand what Jesus is talking about in the New Testament. He calls himself the Son of Man. I'm going to read you something from Daniel 7. You ever get lost and not be able to find your place? Daniel 7, verses 13 and 14. I kept looking. This is a vision that the prophet Daniel's having. He said, I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the Ancient of Days, and he was presented before him. And to him, this son of man, was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Jesus is declaring, I am the king. I am the one who's coming into the world. I am the Messiah. I am the seed that crushes the serpent's head. I'm the one that has authority to... Cure the symptom, and I'm the one that has the authority to cure the disease. That's what he's declaring when he calls himself Son of Man. And he says, so that you'll know that the Son of Man has this authority, pick up your stretcher and go home. The trap has sprung. They said, who who can forgive sins but God alone? And now he sprung the trap on him. The Son of God is equal to the Father. And he has authority to forgive sins. And he staked his claim on his ability to overthrow the physical symptoms of the curse. There's nothing they can say. Verse 25, it says, Immediately, Talking about the paralyzed man. Immediately he got up before them, picked up what he'd been laying on, and went home glorifying God. Immediately. Jesus' authority is sovereign, it's absolute, and it's instant. Immediately he got up and picked up his mat and went home. Glorifying God. He went home glorifying God. Jesus' mission in this world is to cleanse God's people, to heal God's people, and to deliver them from the curse that came upon the world through sin. That's his mission here. Um, We talked about that a few weeks ago. He came to destroy the works of the devil, bringing sin into the world and his curse. And whenever he does this, this always results in praise and glory to God. Always. Peter says that's why we were called out of darkness into his marvelous light. 
is so that we could declare the excellencies of him who called us. James says that we're first fruits among his creatures. We are a celebratory offering of praise as God's people. Jesus' works brings glory to the Father. In verse 26, they're all struck with astonishment. They began glorifying God. They were filled with fear, saying, we have seen remarkable things today. No one can speak a word to him. No one can contradict him. Jesus has declared who he is. He's declared what he's here to do. And he's demonstrated his authority for doing it. When they would ask him later on at the temple, um, you tell us by what authority you're teaching these things. They knew. They were just looking for a way to accuse him. These things that we're looking at, these healings, you know, Jesus could have come and he could have healed disease everywhere. And he did heal lots of diseases, but they're for signs. Our greatest need, God, the greatest need that God's people have is this leprosy of sin. And you can be perfectly healthy. You can be walking around in perfect physical condition. You can live to be a hundred years old and, and spry and never ha- have pain. And you can be an absolute leper. You can be unsound from the bottom of your foot to the top of your head and dying and you're going to die. That's what, see, people who have physical leprosy or cancer or heart disease or chronic pain or some other sort of a physical malady, they have a warning ahead of time. This is a, a symptom that is showing us the disease. It's, it's, it's a, a, a physical representation of spiritual reality. It's showing us the truth. You're under a curse. You're dying. And if you continue in this state, if you don't see Jesus, if he doesn't make you clean, you're going to die eternally. You're physically dying now, no matter how healthy you look on the outside. And you're going to die. And the only hope that you have is that he touches you and makes you clean. There's a reason why he touched that leper. When he came into this world, he couldn't heal us from our real illness without touching us. You know, he prayed to the Father, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. Now, Jesus, as God, wasn't trying to change the Father's will. That's another subject we'll get into at a different time. But what he's demonstrating for us is that there is no other way. He had to come and take on human flesh, take on our infirmities, Take our, he was made a curse for us. He humbled himself. He took our sin upon himself. I'm going to read you something from Philippians 2. This is why the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. I'm going to read verses 5 through 7. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, 
For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He reached down and touched us. He makes us clean. And not only that, he's going to make it all clean. There's going to be a new heavens and a new earth, and we're going to have new bodies. And yeah, we could look at it and say, won't it be great that we won't have pain? Won't it be great that we won't have the sin that brings the pain? That's what we're looking for. There will be no corruption because the thing that produces the corruption will not be here anymore. Because he has healed us and cleansed us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your glorious gospel. We thank you for what you've done for us in the work of your Son. The healing that you've given us. The cleansing that you are making all things new. Lord, we ask that you stir us up with a vision of this glory and give us passion to bring people to Jesus. To proclaim this truth so that people will see you. That you are the only hope. That you are death. Thank you, Lord, for life, for healing, and for grace. In Jesus' name, amen.